we should be the best engine on the planet at recognizing the gifts of people and launching them out into community. We should be better than any business, any incubator, any co-working space, any organization at launching out, not just volunteers into the community, but people who are fully lit on fire by the love of God. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. Alan and I are going to be sitting down and talking about a topic that is near and dear to his heart, but our heart as an organization, Stayforth Designs. And so um, I'm here with Alan Briggs, my co-host. Hey, man. Excited to uh, chat over this topic that I believe is really crucial. I know I'm a little partial to it, but it was important enough that I uh, dedicate a year of writing to it. So yeah, excited to crack open a conversation with you, man. Totally. And it's it's a topic that I think most of us instinctively um, feel, right? That we want to know ourselves and how we're wired and really what our sweet spot is, what our genius is. And so that's what the heart of the book is, is, is realizing that we're all wired uniquely by God and differently and that we all have, you know, this amazing role to play in his kingdom. And so why don't you unpack a little bit about what the idea of genius is? Um, and then why you were inspired to to write on it. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it really feels like sort of a paradox or conundrum uh, in the Christian life to be thinking about genius. And I actually heard a TED Talk by the gal who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, Liz Gilbert. And she was talking about this idea that in Greco-Roman times, they used to say that you have a genius. And so perhaps that they understood this idea of the muse or sort of the divine breeze or the idea that we don't, we're not responsible for all the creativity that comes out of us and began to kind of think and connect that back to my, uh, I don't know, just my understanding of spiritual gifts. My life verse has always been Ephesians 2.10 and this idea that we're his workmanship and that's our identity, but we also have these good works that God's prepared in advance for all of us. And so really just started to think about what if we kind of paired this idea together, not only of just the spiritual gifts from the list, but the things that we're amazing at that can be leveraged for God's kingdom. And um, I know that personally, and I feel that personally, um, that there's some things that don't show up in scripture, but I'm wired to do and can repurpose them for the kingdom and use them in many different environments, but also the conviction of being a pastor for the last 13 years. Many times I've looked over some of the most gifted people in uh, you know some of the areas of their life that they're incredible at. Uh, and just thought, man, we have a genius behind us, the living God who's given us, wired us uh, with some pretty incredible things. And so we need to be genius spies uh, of looking for that in other people, having other people look for that in us. And so uh, ultimately, it's a it's pretty affirming message. It's one um, that I think is exciting for us to dig in in community and say we need one another in order to function it truly in how God has, has uniquely wired us. So it's one that's really close to, to our heart also at Stay Forth Designs. Yeah, we have this creator God who has gifted us with this genius behind our lives. And um, where do you feel like this has been missing, either in churches or organizations, and that we haven't grabbed a hold of this idea that, that everyone is a genius? Um, where do you think we've missed this in our churches or our leadership or our organizations? Yeah, I think we can miss this to either side. I think it's a tension. And in many of our cultures within organizations, it's this falsely humble culture where people ultimately feel underutilized and bored. We don't talk about our giftings. We don't call people into 
their giftings. And so they just sort of sit there uh, and that's not helping anybody. And then on the other side, we have this prideful culture where we sort of worship the gifts that are up on stages and whatnot. People feel puffed up, production driven. Uh, if you have those gifts and if you don't, you just feel like you're second rate. The question is, how do we build a culture that's empowering, that's somewhere in the middle where people feel affirmed and inspired, but that we're not sort of idolizing and idealizing the gifts, but we're also not neglecting. I mean, we have gifts and um, we start with the space of identity, like we talk about with Stay Forth, but then we're called into impact. We start with workmanship first, but God has good works for us. So I think it's really important um, within our teams and organizations to hold those intention. Yeah, that is attention. Uh, do you feel like maybe we've lost our imagination with what we define as genius, what we define as valuable? And specifically, just speaking as a pastor, do you think we've done that in the churches where we've we lost imagination of what would be valuable for God's kingdom? And we've narrowly defined what gifting or genius looks like. Yeah, I think we absolutely have. I mean, almost completely have lost our imagination. And I'm grateful that there are lists of spiritual gifts uh, within Scripture, but I don't believe that the lists of spiritual gifts are are meant to uh, limit what we're thinking about. I mean, if, if all of life is spiritual and can be repurposed for the kingdom in those gifts, anything short of sin, then I think that ultimately we need to be better at recognizing what those are. And in fact, in the book, I talk about what I call alternative creatives. And I think it's 14 different types of people um, with different types of gifts that we really haven't recognized. Uh, like one of those would be hospitality. I think we're in a resurgence of hospitality, not just the full table, but the open life to be open to um, the stranger, the outsider, uh, outside of our lives and our families and, and in our neighborhoods. I think we're coming back to hospitality. Another one would be conveners, people that can just get the right people together to connect and convene um, the right opportunities, the right gatherings. And so I think we need to revisit our imagination uh, on what that can be. I think many times companies are way better, way more creative at digging into those areas than, than we've been in the church. And honestly, I just think it's a travesty. And that's why I really had to write this book. I felt like this is one that we need in this time. If we want to be innovators, if we want to be bringing about new things. I mean, it's literally part of our DNA to be a creator um, who is sent by God, the creator himself, that we get to co-create. Um, and so I, I think if we're going to push into innovation, if we're going to sort of catch up to culture at any rate where we're being reminded uh, and actually reminding culture of the relevance of the gospel today, uh, I think our lives, uh, our ministries, our churches actually depend on recognizing the gifts um, that ultimately they're already recognizing in sort of the business sphere and in popular culture today. Yeah, that's that's so good. That reminds me of a story where you and I were teaching a neighboring um, kind of a seminar in Colorado Springs, and there were a few speakers. You and I spoke, and afterwards we fielded questions, and there was a, a woman who was deeply passionate about neighboring. Her, her husband and her had been uh, missionaries, I think, in the Philippines for several years, and so when they moved back stateside, they decided that they were going to be missionaries to their neighborhood. So they took that posture of a missionary that they had overseas and they implemented it into their neighborhood, that they were going to love and cultivate relationships with their neighbors um, and embody the, the gospel and the kingdom right where they lived, which is this amazing um, story of missionaries living out their calling uh, wherever they are. But 
that there was deep pain in her story because she she felt like she wasn't affirmed. She felt like she was a misfit within the, the church community. And so not only was she not encouraged, but sometimes she felt discouraged because she wasn't, you know, engaging in the programs of the church or even some pastors, you know, said some things that insinuating that she wasn't as involved as she should be. And, and so she actually broke down into tears with some deep pain from this story where her genius wasn't affirmed in her. And and so we see kind of the effects that it can have when we encourage people, these beautiful effects of affirmation and encouragement, but also the negative effects when we neglect people's genius, um, the the kind of discouragement that comes from that. So I think it's deeply, deeply important um, what you're talking about, Alan. And there's very real externalities to our leadership. Like this matters to people and this matters to the, to the people that we lead. One of the things I've noticed on that topic, David, is just how much encouragement goes the distance these days. I mean, how rare it is to be encouraged by someone who doesn't need anything from you. They're not trying to get anything out of you. Maybe they're not even your boss. They're just somebody that says, well, I see this in you. And it's become a practice for me. I try to practice it regularly. It's just, I see the image of God in you when you blank. And just to remind people, essentially, keep doing that. It matters. And just how starved we are for encouragement and affirmation. I mean, all of us. We're just lacking uh, many times the ability to see what's inside of us. And then somebody holds a mirror up to us, adds a little bit of encouragement. I'm not talking about buttering people up, but I mean, actually encouraging them to keep going, keep using that gift. And sometimes even saying there's a gift there. That's a thing. I remember... The first time somebody said, Alan, you're an amazing connector. I'm like, you know, what is that? Well, you're always connecting the right people at the right time and getting out of the way. And since then, that's actually become a major piece of what I get to do and kind of the relationships and the networks I get to curate right here in the city because people need to know each other. And so, um, but I wouldn't have known that that was a thing unless they had stopped to tell me, hey, not everybody can do this and you need to use this gift and, and we need it. We just we need to be doing that. So not only spies and unearthing that, but we just need to be encouragers, just yeah. affirming what we see there. Man, it goes a long way today. Yeah, absolutely. So what we do and then who we are um, are, are connected and maybe connected far too directly um, in our culture that we are what we do. And so when someone asks us, you know, what do you do? It almost always goes to career. And that's just kind of part of our cultural narrative and it's within the DNA of our culture. So how do we mess up the value of work in our lives? Yeah, again, I think it's a tension. I think we can miss on either side of the spectrum. I think in one sense, um, we bow down to the idol of work. I mean, some have even said that work is the new religion of culture today. And so we can be human doings instead of human beings and, uh, and that's just pretty natural for us. What have you been up to? Tell me about your career. What do you do? Is kind of the first question that we ask somebody when we're at a party. And yet we just have overvalued it so much that it can actually strip our identity away when we move out of that job or that role. The other side is to undervalue it, to say that it, it doesn't really matter and it's not a big deal. And well, it's clear that when our identity is set, then we've got good work to do. So of course, I wouldn't say that it doesn't matter at all. It matters hugely in terms of what we do. Like work can be meaningful. And many times I think work is either caged as uh, it matters completely and 100% the sum of what we do, or it doesn't matter at all. Don't worry about it. But work can be meaningful. It's more than just toil. And so I think that matters in the ways that we serve 
um, for free and will never be paid a dollar in our lives. I think that, um, you know, whatever we spend a majority of our work, our waking hours doing every week, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, adding value to other people's lives, um, that matters. And so work matters today. We just have to make sure we keep it in the proper guardrails, not leaning to one side or the other. And I think it, again, holds us in tension between those those two really unhealthy views of work. Well, and we've touched on this this idea that when it's out of whack, it can really damage us personally, but it can damage our teams and our organizations. Um, how can this idea of everyone's a genius change our churches um, to see them become more healthy? Well, I don't speak this from a place of strength. Like I'm amazing at it and I get it right 100% of the time, but it comes out of a space of conviction, of realizing that I haven't been a good enough genius spy looking for how people are uniquely designed and and uniquely wired. So a lot of this comes out of conviction and hopefully things that I'm learning over the years, hopefully ways I'm affirming other people more. But I think that this actually sets a church and its people on fire when we realize that God has given us so much. It is so uh, liberating and freeing to be able to know we can head out into the world with the gifts that we've been given and serve God in that unique way within companies, within things that aren't ministries and churches, but actually as a sent people going out into our communities, I think it's incredibly freeing for God's people. And I think it should be freeing for God's people to, to be able to bring that message. So I think it brings freedom, but uh, again, back to affirmation. I think it's just encouraging to know that yes, Others see the image of God in you in maybe ways that you can't even see in yourself. And so I personally, I know I'm, I'm a little biased on this idea. Um, after pastoring for 13 years, I truly believe that we should be the best engine on the planet at recognizing the gifts of people and launching them out into community. We should be better than any business, any incubator, any co-working space, any organization at launching out, not just volunteers into the community, but people who are fully lit on fire by the love of God, um, because we have the greatest why behind it. Um, Literally, the image of God is in us. We have our identity taken care of. It's already secure. And then we get to work out of that identity, not working for that identity. So I I think you can absolutely set a church on fire. I love hearing stories and people come back uh, saying, here's the risk that I took, and it has nothing to do with the sermon that I preached. Uh, the last you know, sermon series, the idea that you led the class on, the book they're reading, but just a risk that they took in their life, in their relationship, in their neighbors, in their job, it just pumps me up. So I think it lights a church on fire when we hear that story and somebody else kind of gets more missional courage to go back into the community, their neighborhood, their family, and, and do the same. So I think it's a bit of um, just kind of a narrative blitz in that um, everybody says, yeah, I'm going for it. If they can do it, I can do it too. And uh, just sort of watch that build. Uh, and I personally think we need to be telling more stories. We need to be unearthing those stories as the people who are in pulpits, and we need to be spitting them back out, bragging on our people, and es- essentially reminding them, I see the image of God in you. You've been faithful, you've been obedient, and keep going. Yeah, I can I can relate with that in so many different ways. And one of the things that I think we can fall into as leaders is treating people like cogs into our system. Uh, We develop a process, we develop events, we develop, you know, all these things that we want people to be involved in to make sure that they happen. And those can be good things and even great things and, and things that we're called to. But if we neglect empowering and equipping and sending people out um, in how they're wired and how God's made them and gifted them and given them um, this genius that they're to live into, 
um, we miss out on a huge portion of what the church is is capable of. And really, it's almost a you know a dormant church, or we're only using one side of our brain as a whole church, and that just um, binds us and cripples us. And so, when I've seen leaders um, come alive, or people come alive in their gifting and how they're wired, and what God is calling them into with their families um, or, or them as individuals, just the amount of energy that comes from that is so—it's um, exciting. It really is. And and when you see that in in the lives of your people, you don't want to go back to another way of of doing it. And it really doesn't take that much work either. Many times it's just unearthing the stories, or maybe you already know the stories, and it's just maybe getting permission to retell them. Maybe it's um, being able to send them out with with a prayer. Maybe it's sending teachers back into the same school in the fall that they came out of in the summer, but maybe with a renewed passion or vision just to say, we see you. What you do matters. Because I think we're all asking that question, what counts? And I mean, it sounds kind of carnal, but in our calculated Western culture. We're asking what counts as ministry and mission. And uh, I think the difference you're talking about, David, is really slight. Everybody wants to be utilized, but nobody wants to be used. The moment people do feel like a cog or just one more story that we're grabbing uh, and then retelling it uh, that doesn't have dignity in it, that that isn't challenging or inspiring other people, it's just kind of collecting a story. We got to be careful with it. And so, but I do know the other side of that, everybody wants to be utilized. Nobody wants to be used. So finding again, that tension, there's a lot of tension in, in these conversations. We have to be careful not to lean to the left or to the right, but just that slight difference. Uh, and man, when we lean into that, it just, uh, it just stokes the fire and other people say, Oh, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so to get really practical, what's one step or maybe a couple steps that a leader listening can do to move towards utilization rather than using their people. So what can they do to affirm more people's gifts in their church or organization? So I like to use this phrase, catch people doing something awesome. And by awesome, I don't mean, you know, a crowd pleaser, or it's incredible, or it's going to get a standing ovation, but just maybe watch other people doing something faithful, doing something ordinary, doing something obedient, and just retell that story. And I think they're they're used to hearing stories of you know pastors doing incredible things and missionaries overseas doing incredible things. But if we are going to convey the message that everyone is a missionary, under the greatest message this earth has ever seen or heard, then we're going to have to tell stories. And so I think we need to recover that art of narrative, the art of telling stories. And ultimately, let's catch people being faithful and faithfully live out their calling in their vocation, in their family, in their neighborhood, in their networks of friends. And uh, it's incredible. Once I sit down with people and ask them, what are the, some of the things that you're doing? I had no idea who was coaching their kid's soccer team, who was serving within the city government, who was on this volunteer team doing some incredible things all over the city. And people just generally aren't going to tell you. So I think we as you know, sort of paid ministry leaders or church leaders up on stages, I believe in this age, have actually the duty that we need to sit down with people and we need to pull out some of the best of what they're doing and to be able to get their permission to retell that and, and ultimately to, to set other people on mission simply because of the stories that we continue to tell. So man, if we just became better storytellers, I think ultimately the line of this um, would go up easily 5 or 10%, if not more in our churches. Yeah, that's good. Um, telling people stories is, um, I mean, it shows other people that it's possible. 
right? I mean, it, it kind of gives them permission to use their yep. imagination of how God might use them outside of the realm that maybe there was a script that was given to them um, that was a little too narrowly defined. And someone else, um, through sharing their story, blows open that script, living out their calling in maybe a way that a fresh way that they hadn't heard of before or thought of before and all came out of the story of someone else um, living out their faith in a tangible way. Um, when it comes to practical ways to, to share stories, are there some platforms? Um, are there some you know tools that we can use to share stories that maybe we should be paying attention to as leaders? Yeah, I immediately think of two different ways. The first way uh, is the easiest to understand, and it's from upfront. Whether you're leading a class, or whether you're leading ten people, or, or you're preaching to a thousand people, doesn't matter. Just to be able to tell those stories, maybe bring that person up on stage. Maybe it's through video, uh, and you can vid- video is great because then it can go online. You can reuse it on social media. Um, it can be told the same way if you have multiple services. And so the idea of video, you can also go and film that video in their context and in their mission space, which can create more of of an imagination and more of kind of a field trip type idea. So telling that from the stage and from the front. The second way is actually in a, a context of trusted people, maybe around a table or maybe in a small group of going around. The person's not allowed to talk, but we talk about them. And it's a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. You'll get through it. It's just to say, well, this person is really amazing at that. I see the image of God in them when they blank. Maybe they're a really good question asker. Maybe they're incredible at caring for people over the long haul. Maybe they have a way of throwing parties in their friends or or with their neighborhood. They're good at celebrating. They can make people feel special. Whatever that is, it's so close to us, we probably don't see it. And uh, just a few weeks back, we were at the Phoenix fill-up and uh, incredible, incredible time there. And um, and I saw this this guy Michael, who I invited on this trip because I had seen he's an incredible curator of experiences, and we just sat there in awe as he served us. And so it was him uh, who who's a pastor serving nine other pastors, and we were just seeing the image of God in him that is so wired to create events and make people feel special as he's serving us food and he's pairing that with beer. And I mean it was just incredible what he was able to do. And you can't not see that, but he doesn't see how valuable those gifts are inside of himself. So I think a trusted environment. And at some point we've got to use our words, even if it makes people feel uncomfortable to say, you're amazing at this. And by the way, you need to keep doing it. Yeah, that's so good. There's a public element and a deeply personal and and private element that I think both communicate extremely powerfully to the people that we're leading. And so um, I love it. I love this message. Obviously, we care deeply about it um, as coaches, as consultants, as leaders, as pastors. Um, what, what are some ways that people can kind of dig deeper into this, this topic? Obviously, the book's there, but what are some ways that you could direct people towards um, digging deeper into this idea of genius? I think just start with trying to be aware Maybe ask God to give you eyes to be able to see where other people uh, are incredible in a particular area. They're gifted, not just so they can serve on our teams, by the way. I think that's the wrong application of the book is just to say, oh, yes, so we can have more people to staff our volunteer teams. That's a whole different deal. I understand somebody's got to run our different ministries and set up chairs and run children's ministry. But this book really is about unleashing them back into the community. And in fact, the subtitle is Unleashing Creativity for the sake of the world, not just for the sake of the church or our church. So I think just to to have our eyes open to that. And many times when our eyes are open, 
we'll see things. But when we're going, you know, just to staff our own ministries, just to staff the next event that's coming up, Sunday's always coming. We feel that pressure. Um, then I think we're actually going to miss the best stuff um, because it, it may not benefit the bottom line of our church. And and secondly, maybe just take the risk to pray over them and to kind of launch them out into the community um, and even see it as a bit of an ordination or ascending um, back into the very space they came from, but just with a little bit more affirmation that this matters and this actually counts in God's kingdom. Well, thank you, Alan, for sharing your heart with us and this message that I think is so crucial for churches and and really any organization. And if you have resonated listening along with this podcast, um, we encourage you to go pick up the book. You can either find it on our website, um, stayforth.com, or you can find it on Amazon or wherever you find books. Um, Everyone is a genius. Um, Go pick it up and dig further into this message of empowering others and unleashing them into the world for the sake of the world. So long.